what we are trying to do is essentially build an application and content delivery network. But instead of using proprietary networks under the hood, we're using open networks. The open web is essentially a combination of these different Web3 protocols that when combined can sort of replace the current internet stack. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss the Jamstack, a new way of building websites and apps that are fast, secure, and simple to work with. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. Welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, we've got Harrison Hines. Harrison, what is up? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. And uh, like, it's a chance encounter. I happened to have a conversation with actually Natter, who was just recently on the podcast. He just recently took a new role to work on a blockchain protocol company. And Fleek came up in our conversation together about his uh, change to work in the blockchain. But do you want to tell us who you are? what you do, and uh, what is Fleek? Sure, no problem. So yeah, I'm Harrison, currently co-founder at Fleek, originally from New York, now living in Rincon, Puerto Rico. Prior to this, I had started a company called Token Foundry, which was kind of in the early days of the Ethereum space, helping with token sales and some of that stuff. Started that company out of consensus. And before that was just kind of jumping around, trying to be an entrepreneur, failed a few times early in my entrepreneurial career, and learned enough from those mistakes to eventually now hopefully be doing some things right with Fleek. And so Fleek is really trying to be an open web developer platform. What that means is we're not necessarily focused on like the heavy DeFi and financial aspects of crypto and blockchain and Web3. But really, the technologies that can sort of come together to create a new open web stack that's more trustless, permissionless, kind of free from these you know, tech oligarchs and centralized gatekeepers. And so what Fleek really tries to do is deliver a super seamless and user-friendly and familiar developer experience with products and services that developers are used to. But under the hood, use these new Web3 technologies and protocols. So it feels the same, but gives you these Web3 benefits and enables you to build these apps on the new sort of open web and the sort of protocols that encompass that. Excellent. Yeah, I'd appreciate that introduction too as well. And uh, it sounds like you've got quite a bit of experience within the Ethereum and the DeFi space. Uh, what year was it when you were hanging out with the Token Foundry stuff and working on that? So I got involved in the Ethereum space in late 2016 and then officially joined Consensus and started Token Foundry in early 2017 and then did that for about two years and then started Fleek. Okay, excellent. So I was actually heard about Fleek through Twitter, actually. And then when I asked like a friend about it, the way they sort of described it to me was Netlify, but on the blockchain. And I'm not sure if that's that really does it justice, to be quite honest. So like, feel free to correct me in that sort of assumption. But what I do like about it is that it does take away the pain of getting stuff on the sort of new web and the new internet, which 
go ahead and rebut my last statement about Netlify and the blockchain, but also I'm curious if you could explain what the new internet is and like what Web3 is for the, the listener. Sure. So we are very big fans of Netlify and the whole kind of Jamstack movement that they played a huge role in pioneering. And, and we definitely don't mind that analogy. We think it's a compliment if we could do half as good as they do in trying to deliver good you know, user experiences and stuff. But yeah, the main difference is instead of building on a proprietary application delivery network, in the case of Netlify or AWS or these other platforms, what we are trying to do is essentially build an application and content delivery network. But instead of using proprietary networks under the hood, we're using open networks. And so what the open web is, is essentially a combination of these different Web3 protocols that when combined can sort of replace the current internet stack. And so that might involve, let's say, Ethereum as a replacement for Visa payment rails or you know the traditional payment rails that, let's say, Stripe is built on top of or something like Plaid. Uh, you could have Filecoin as a kind of persistence layer for files and data, IPFS as a sort of content addressing and naming system. You could have things like ENS or Handshake as blockchain-based domain naming systems as an alternative to DNS. And it could also involve something like Definity's internet computer as a decentralized compute layer. And so when you combine all those things together, now you can start to essentially create a stack that could handle full web applications and all the different pieces that you would kind of need to build something like a, a Jamstack app. And it's a term that's a moving target, especially as new technologies and protocols get released. But that is kind of how I describe the open web is the benefits of blockchain, but now instead of applied to financial use cases, really applied to just the internet in general. So, but applying those same principles of permissionlessness. So essentially you don't need permission to use something or deploy something or, you know, trustlessness in terms of you don't have to worry about someone deplatforming you or, you know, suspending your account and it's not transparent as to why or how you get it back or things of that nature. Borderless in terms of it's not, you know, kind of like the current internet, which is starting to split across geopolitical lines. You know, you have these AWS and Azure and GCP in the US, you have Alibaba Cloud and some of these other players who are dominant in Asia. Now you have a platform that is essentially something that is accessible across the entire globe. And so those are kind of some of the, I'd say, what the open web aspires to be, Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes a lot of sense too as well, because like being deplatformed is a thing that comes up in conversation and knowing the political climate, at least in the US, uh, has been top of mind for a lot of folks in the last couple of years. Uh, but even like having... There are companies that can't operate in certain countries because of U.S. sanctions. So it's understanding that like, you want to be able to provide your product, your feature set to anybody who 
wants to get their stuff on the internet. So like I guess in that sort of context you provided us, and again, thank you for that. I think of like the comparison of AWS. And like we, I think everybody knows like Netlify functions runs on Lambda functions. A lot of these cloud providers are sort of like these multi-cloud Kubernetes, but they ended up just using GCP, Azure, AWS, maybe DigitalOcean under the hood. Uh, but it sounds like what's under the hood is going to be blockchain. So I have a bit of understanding of the blockchain. So like I understand like with the token foundry, it has the protocol for ERC20. And like there's new protocols for Ethereum to do different things. So what are you saying that if I use Fleek, do I have to hold a token to be able to deploy my stuff to the open, I guess, the new internet? So I would say it depends. And that's one of the things we try to balance really well is like maximalist trustlessness and decentralization versus convenience yeah. and pragmatic developer experience. And so we try to offer both ends of the spectrum, but Essentially, if you wanted to do everything yourself, then yes, in the future, to store files on Filecoin or to host an app that lives on the internet computer and pay for computation, and same with you know Ethereum, it would require you to hold a balance of tokens and pay for that usage of infrastructure with tokens. However, what we provide as well is abstracting those elements. And that's part of what we do to make it super easy to use these technologies. And progressively over time, we try more and more to put the user in control and remove ourselves from the equation. So the end goal would be where we really are just like an interface not too different from a crypto wallet, where we are just enabling you to manage and you know facilitate all these different web services through an interface like AWS, but you're in full control and you are kind of paying for everything. But in the meantime, for the next few years, we let you pay credit debit card and we just pay for the tokens for the usage of the underlying protocols you're using. And then you could just pay at the end of the month credit debit card. So it feels very much like a Netlify or an AWS-like experience. Gotcha. I appreciate that too, because I think there is a, a giant leap that has to be made for somebody who comes from the sort of modern web, leveraging AWS technologies to using something like Fleek, which is on the new web, the Web3. And for listeners, like web, the labels that we've been using in the blockchain space is Web2 and Web3, Web3 being the DeFi space and what Fleek is doing, and Web2 being Web2.0 and what we've sort of been accompanied to, which is we call the modern web. So I just wanted to make that correlation so if anybody's not caught up to speed. But for me, like... Yeah, I want to sign up for Fleek. I want to give you a credit card, but I don't want to have to like figure out how to use MetaMask. It. I personally, I can use it, but like I can't convince you know a room full of people at a conference to say, okay, well, before we can do anything, get a sign up for MetaMask, and then you also have to do this, and you got to do this. Like if that abstraction is taken away uh, by signing up for Fleek, like I'm all on board uh, because I come from a space where I am pragmatic about developer experience, and I want to make sure that no one's lost or left behind. But I also understand as you're cutting edge you can't have the sort of beautiful experience as you're still trying to build the ship. So I think that we're uh, what we're seeing right now, and this is my personal opinion, uh, but we're seeing sort of like all these new highs of Bitcoin and Ethereum and all this other stuff that for the past couple of years, we've seen a lot of folks just building stuff. And now we're seeing that influx of adoption. And that adoption will hopefully cater towards building better experience for the folks that are coming in this sort of like current wave of blockchain. I guess... 
one thing that I really enjoy is using Redwood JS, and I've had Redwood JS come on for a conversation about just their project. Uh, but the one thing I like about Redwood JS and the documentation, they actually have how to set up Ethereum using a full stack React framework, and it's just like one one link in the documentation. If you want to do it, you can. But if you don't, just go ahead and le- leverage something like you know Auth zero or whatnot for authentication or DynamoDB for databases. So I guess my my next question for you is. Um, What's the correlation between things like IPFS and Fleek and like all the other technologies you mentioned as well? Are you is Fleek trying to build on, on the next AWS on the blockchain, or are all these separate players collaborating together to build sort of like a foundation or or whatnot to compete with AWS? That's a very good question, and I get this a lot. But I'd say if we split AWS into two parts these underlying networks are kind of the data centers. So Definity is kind of a decentralized version of AWS's data center layer. They have a network of data centers all over the world that are managed algorithmically through blockchain consensus to make sure you know they're running the trustless hardware, they're getting rewarded for running the trustless hardware, so on and so forth. However, like AWS, it's not like users are directly interacting with AWS data centers. They're doing it all through an interface to make it a super user-friendly experience. So, you know, if you want to store files, you could do that. If you want compute, you could do that. If you want hosting, you could do that. And so what we really see is there's a lot of cool technologies being built in this open web space. You know, just the ones we've mentioned already today, you have Definity, you have Ethereum, you have IPFS, you have Filecoin, you have ENS, you have Handshake, you have all these different technologies and all these cool communities and groups building different pieces of the stack. But it would be a very frustrating user experience for a developer if you had to go to seven different places to get all the different infrastructure you needed to put it together and build your app. You want that Netlify experience where it's one click, link your GitHub, deploy it, and everything you need is kind of in the same place, abstracted away, and it's kind of, you know, follows this low-code, sort of no-code movement. And so that's really where we see Fleek coming in, is to be that AWS interface layer, where we're connecting to these underlying new data center and compute hardware layers that are made up by these different networks, instead of corporations running them in proprietary data centers. Now it's networks running them with a you know decentralized hardware providers and people providing storage or computation to the network but for the end user developer you're still going to want that interface where you could just kind of see all the different products and services you want to use related to web development and easily access them have an interface to start using them to manage them to surface your artifacts things of that nature and so that's really where something like Fleek comes in. And you know, if you look at the Ethereum space, it's like you have the Ethereum network, but everyone needs to access it through a wallet like MetaMask or something like that, or Etherscan, or you know, you have all these different interfaces that people actually use to access the network. And so we feel that that's what Fleek is doing. But instead of doing it for one single network. We're sort of just sitting on top of the various networks and protocols that we feel are going to be needed or utilized by developers and providing an all-in-one experience. So we kind of feel like we're a magnet for the open web 
where we can combine these different protocols that are sort of fighting this battle on their own. But now you can kind of cross-pollinate them and really create a better experience for developers and also start to get, you know, people interested in handshake, you know, and decentralized domains. Well, odds are they're really going to be interested in decentralized compute or decentralized storage and vice versa. So that's kind of how we view ourselves is, is kind of that aggregator of new open web technologies and abstracting away the complexities of using them to create that familiar developer experience and putting it all in one interface to access it all and make it a manageable experience and a fun experience. That's very familiar to things like the Jamstack. Like folks who are in the Jamstack, we operate as thinking of, hey, there's this tool, I'm gonna leverage this, I'm gonna use the CMS. And you sort of can pick and choose the flavor of what you want to build. But with you being sort of like, I guess, the curator or the sort of connector of all these different technologies, these protocols, it sounds like betting on Fleek as your sort of Web3 project, you might not be going wrong because at least you could be, it sounds like there's a bit of nimble, I guess, nimbility. Nimbility, I'm not sure if that's actually a word, but the ability to be nimble when you make these decisions. Because the other thing is like, there's there's a lot of protocols. Like I, think, I don't think you can go wrong with Ethereum today. But like, if you made a decision to build on something like the Stellar network, not to get the Stellar network, but they've been around for a bit. I just don't hear as much hype around that. So I don't know if that's because there's not a large community. I'm just sort of coming in as naive as I can be. So like, that's that would be my concern if I made a bet on the wrong protocol and then decided or found out the hard way a year later. It's like, oh well, the community just never adopted this thing. Now we have to move off to stuff. Yeah, you're exactly right, and that's why. We don't add a protocol until we hear enough customers requesting it. So A, we could look at data on the blockchain since it's all transparent. But B, we could also just, you know, kind of track vanity metrics like token price, but also just, you know, mentions on Twitter, but also how many people in customer support are asking for a feature like that. And so we could kind of wait to see what the market is telling us you know, people are gravitating towards and then just add it. So yeah, that's it. That's exactly part of the approach is the only thing for certain is things are constantly changing in the Web3 space. And so it's very hard to keep up. There's so much going on. Yeah. But yeah, I, I do think, especially at this stage of the ecosystem, it's a very dangerous strategy to have hold too strong of opinions on any one technology that you think is going to win. And also just from a personal interest perspective, like there's so much exciting things going on that it's hard to only focus on one thing for, you know, so it's, it's by design yeah. to keep ourselves intellectually curious, to be able to continue to explore what's new, what's out there, what did developers want and also, yeah, mitigate that, we bet the house on EOS or something, and it you know turned out not to be all it was chalked up to be. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> or Tron. Yeah, <laughs> but that's good insight too, as well, because I think there's just a lot of a curiosity in general, and uh, I think on the surface level, it seems like people can sort of pitch each protocol and blockchain against each other, and then have it sort of like NFL teams, like. I might be a fan of this sports team, and this sports team's never going to be good in my eyes, despite whoever plays there. My analogy is I'm from Tampa, Florida. So, like, mm. Tom Brady won a Super Bowl in Tampa. To be quite honest, I didn't care. I could care less because I don't watch football anymore. <laughs> but it's my hometown. It's a team that I watched growing up. It's great. It's good for them. 
but like there are people who are just like, oh, I can't watch this team anymore because Tom Brady plays for there. And I think it's the same thing with blockchain. Like depending on who the player is, who what's happening, I think folks can get distracted of like the rising tide is raising all boats. So like everybody's focused on blockchain now because now everything's going up, uh, up and to the right. That's exciting. But when it's not going up and to the right, then folks are now like sort of pitching each other against each other. And I think that's uh, the wrong focus. So I appreciate your approach to it. But I wanted to actually, based on the current market, I wanted to get your your opinion on NFTs because I know Fleek is involved in like a um, in a certain way. Could you explain to you how Fleek is involved, like in this new rush of folks leveraging NFTs? Sure. Also, could you explain what NFTs are too, as well for the listeners? Sure, no problem. So an NFT is just it stands for non fungible token, but essentially, like if you think of the U.S. dollar, I could trade a dollar bill with your dollar bill. And they're both the same thing. They're fungible. Non-fungible is more related to things that are unique. So, you know, a baseball card is would be considered non-fungible, or art is non-fungible, or even a song or a video. All these things are considered non-fungible assets that could be non-fungible tokens. And so that's why you've seen NFTs to date being mostly art or game items or songs or you know audio files or things of that nature but it could really be anything it could be a loan it could be a asset in the real world like a house almost anything i would say is non-fungible but yeah things like currencies that are more interchangeable would be in the fungible bucket so yeah okay excellent it- add just a sort of connection of the NFT current market and how it's connected to Fleek. Sure. And actually, um, just one quick thing before I jump into that, to something you said earlier, was around like how developers want to come in and pay with credit card and, you know, it'd be a seamless experience. And so, like, funny enough, I was thinking about this uh, recently, but in 2017, when CryptoKitties kind of broke Ethereum, because it was getting... there was this whole argument of how much usage they lost because of how hard the onboarding process was for people. They had to go to Coinbase, they had to get MetaMask, they needed Ether to pay gas, blah, blah, blah. So everyone thought the solution at that time was to pay with credit debit card, let people buy NFTs with credit debit card. Fast forward two years later, you know, maybe three years later, 90, I'd say 5%, if not more, of NFTs are bought with Ether. So that's why we like try to support both ends of the spectrum because it's funny how once people sort of get their feet wet in Web3, how quickly they become advanced users. And so, you know, it might seem far-fetched that developers would hold, you know, tokens and pay for them themselves, but Two, three years ago, people probably would have said there's no way in two to three years there's going to be millions of people buying billions of dollars of these NFTs every day, and all of them are going to be paying with Ether. So it is wild with technology and especially how, you know, with user experiences getting better and stuff, how quickly people are coming up to speed. So I do think that's an interesting trend. And maybe, you know, once they get familiar with that experience with NFTs, could that carry over to other parts of you know paying with tokens and it feeling natural? But so where does Fleek play a role in NFTs? When we first started with Fleek, the idea was basically how it started is there was all these dApps 
Ethereum dApps. Decentralized applications. Yes, decentralized applications. But the funny thing about decentralized applications is that nothing about them was actually decentralized besides the fact that they used a centralized API to communicate with the Ethereum network and the contracts and data lived on Ethereum. But besides that, the front end, you know, the serverless functions, if they were using a database, if they were querying data from the network, all those pieces were centralized, the domain name, everything else. And so we realized that those elements were probably going or should be decentralized over time. If you really wanted to create decentralized, unstoppable applications, those parts were going to have to come too, not just the contracts on Ethereum. And so we looked at where were the early use cases where this was starting to happen, and let's start there and try to make that a really good experience, and then we could always go from there. And so the first technology outside Ethereum that we classified as like open web was IPFS, the interplanetary file system. And the main two use cases it was being used for was to host Ethereum DAP decentralized application front ends. And that's where the Jamstack kind of comes in because you can only host static files on IPFS. And so static front ends, Jamstack, it all made a lot of sense. And then the other use case that IPFS was being used for was NFTs because it's really expensive to store the metadata associated with an NFT on Ethereum because it's just extremely expensive. People you know, are aware of just the gas costs to use Ethereum. Storing data is even, or you know, large files is even more expensive. And so IPFS was a really great solution for NFTs because the killer use case of IPFS is as a unique content sort of naming or identification system. So when you upload a file to IPFS, you get a unique content hash. And if you ever upload that same file to IPFS, the network auto-deduplicates it. And you would always arrive at that same hash if it's the same file. So you would only ever have one copy of that file on the IPFS network. And so if you uploaded an image for an NFT and you said, this is the image for the NFT, when you put that on IPFS, that's the unique hash. You can only have one of that hash of that image on IPFS. And so that's why it worked extremely well for NFTs. Now, the issue is for people who are trying to host front ends on IPFS or for people who are trying to put NFTs on IPFS, the same thing played out that played out in Ethereum, where in the early days, everyone was trying to do it themselves. Spin up your own IPFS node, serve it from your own node. But then you quickly understand it takes a lot of work to run that infrastructure properly. And then it takes even more work to scale that infrastructure properly and deal with you know the levels of bandwidth and usage that some of these popular use cases are, are now experiencing. And so what we decided, and also for IPFS front-end hosting, which is where we started, for example, basically, if you use ENS, for example, which is the Ethereum naming system, which is an alternative to DNS. So now you have this domain, essentially, that lives on a smart contract on Ethereum that points to a file on IPFS. So every time you push a new deployment, that file on IPFS changes because the static front end changed. So the hash changes. So now you'd have to update your ENS name 
on Ethereum to point at the new. Uh, so it was just, it was not a fun process to do it properly. Yeah. So we decided, what if we made that as seamless as, you know, hosting is on some of these newer Vercel Netlify type platforms, but applied that to IPFS hosting. But one of the challenges with IPFS hosting was using IPFS, querying data from the network, given it uses like a distributed hash table to find content because everything's content addressed. So you have to be properly peered. You have to, you know, all these factors play into it. So it was slow. So what we decided to do was after we saw how Ethereum played out, everyone realized querying data from Ethereum from a node itself was extremely slow. Because if you had to go get a historical data, the node's got to roll everything back to that block to get the data. So what did people do? They cached all the data in a database and said, okay, everything besides you know getting last transaction or last block goes to the database and just you know recent transactions go to the node. So what they did is they augmented Ethereum nodes with centralized infrastructure to make it super performant. So we thought, what if we did that with IPFS? Because now we could you know augment IPFS with a CDN and an edge network. So this way, we could always go to the edge network first. All people really care about is the unique content hash. If it's on the edge, it'll get delivered super fast. The content still lives on IPFS, so that's all you care about. And then if it's not on the edge, go to IPFS. So we did that really well for the IPFS hosting. So then we thought, okay, well, if that worked for IPFS hosting, we started to get inquiries of, can I do this you know, for NFTs? Because I have a lot of people visiting my NFT platform and the images are loading slow. So I'd like to you know, put this on a CDN or I need to make sure the files remain pinned or whatever the reason, we decided to then introduce a storage product. So same benefits we were offering for IPFS hosting, now just extending it for any files and any use case of IPFS. And so that's where we play a role in NFTs is that a lot of these platforms that are you know, marketplaces or enabling users to mint NFTs, they're using Fleek behind the scenes to handle the uploading to IPFS, the pinning, the adding it to the edge network and cache, and then delivering it uh, when users are requesting it through the front end or whatever the use case might be. So that's how we kind of play a role in NFTs. Okay, excellent. Yeah, that was... um... A seamless transition into uh, your story too, as the rest of your story and how you've got to where you are today. <laughs> but yeah, I appreciate you going to that, uh, and I hope that was insightful for the listener. Yeah, there's so much we could cover. The one thing I did want to ask real quick too, as well, before we sort of transition to closing this out in the conversation, is you mentioned that the way uh, folks can get around. Well, not, it's not even getting around, but basically make it more approachable, but also not as expensive through like gas fees of Ethereum and using Fleek. And IPFS. What is your opinion of the? I think of it as a naive assumption, but also this assumption of energy waste and cost uh, within NFTs and, and in blockchain. Like you explained, how we can get around overspending on gas fees and how painful that process is. Is there a future where the future of like Ethereum and all these other protocols become less expensive to the environment, to our wallets, to just in general? A hundred percent. And I mean. For Ethereum, the work they're doing with transitioning to ETH2 and proof of stake and and some of these other large uh, changes to the network that are going to happen over the next 12 months, 
it'll definitely be a lot more scalable and cost should be a lot better for the end user, whether it's on Ethereum itself or, you know, layer twos or these various scaling solutions like um, ZK rollups are a super promising one. And there's, you know, a ton of innovation going on at, at layer two. And it's, you know, not too dissimilar from the normal payment rails where you have the Fed and then visas like four layers up. Yeah. And so I think you're starting to see things like that play out. And then on these other networks, you know, like for Definity, for example, if you want to just compare it to normal cloud platforms and their sort of impact on the environment and, you know, cost, 85% of IT costs are correlated or contributed to human costs to manage infrastructure, you know, to sell the infrastructure, to build the infrastructure. So now the fact that you could replace that with an algorithm, it should reduce the cost of computation magnitudes to almost close to like what is the actual cost of the hardware and running the hardware itself. And so I do think that over time, these will become extremely I'd say cost efficient, but also energy efficient, especially when you consider the human cost. Because if you've ever tried to call your bank or use a bank, you know, <laughs> software product, uh, you could feel the pain behind the scenes of what went into making that and the amount of wasted resources and, and things of that nature that went into it. So I feel like people are making an unfair comparison when they're just looking at, you know, one metric and not considering the full picture of, you know, the alternatives. But it is improving, and it's going to just continue to improve. Yeah, and I look forward to seeing more news about this and the improvements as well. Like, I think the, the comparison of, like, modern stuff versus what is being built for the future of web development, I think you have to take it for a grain of salt and understand that this is in-progress foreign motion stuff that's happening. So I appreciate you talking about Fleek. Folks, if you're at all interested, uh, I'm curious... Harrison, are there places folks can just like look to get started if they wanted to sort of check out stuff today? Yeah, for sure. So fleek.co is our main homepage uh, where you could access the platform. Also on GitHub, we're just Fleek HQ. So we have a ton of open source sort of SDKs, repos, daemons, tutorials. Our docs definitely give you a few walkthroughs. We also have a public Slack. So if you're trying to build something and you have questions, I'm active in there all the time. Developers on the team are active all the time. So we're happy to help with any questions or getting you on the right path. And also, I would say just try deploying a site, you know, because you could do it in 30 seconds. You'll get the experience, you know, you'll get your IPFS hash. And sometimes it's just doing it that really gives you, you know, the wow sort of moment that convinces you to dig a little deeper and, and check things out. So, yeah. Cool. Well, awesome. Well, I think it's now time to transition to picks. These are jam picks, stuff that we're jamming on that's keeping us going, uh, whether it's food, music, movies related. Uh, I know a lot of TV shows. I've been actually finding the time to watch TV, which is, it's very rare. It's also weird because I'm creating tons of content right now uh, and building, like writing code, like pretty often. But if you don't mind, I'll go first with my picks, um, which are also pretty counterintuitive to what I just said, because my first pick is TikTok. I've had a TikTok since I think 
the government threatened to shut it down because of China. So I was like, you know, I better just figure out what this thing is before it goes away. And what I like about it is it reminds me of like back when I first had my, my first son about seven years ago, Vine was an app that I used to watch Vines with my son before going to bed. And, you know, just, you follow like the right people and it's just like funny, wholesome content or this comedy. And uh, we just have a great time. We watched uh, a lot of animal vines. Actually, Vine was one of my picks a couple years ago. So we just watch like all these zoos and stuff like that on Vine. And what I like about TikTok is you can do the same thing. You can follow like San Diego Zoo on TikTok and you'll see animals, which is something you can't do with the, in the current climate where you can't just jump on a plane to San Diego. Well, I guess you could, but when you have two kids, there's a little more logistics that happens to, and how to get people around and not put their hands in their mouth and stuff like that. But um, so I've been starting to do some developer focused TikToks that are not as developer focused, to be quite honest, uh, but just having fun. So, folks, just, uh, find me, BDOGEO, on, on TikTok. I also wanted to mention one other thing, which is Natter Dabbit's um, full stack Ethereum blockchain course. He wrote a huge Dev2 post and also created a, an hour long video series of just getting you up to speed with how to develop on Ethereum. So if you wanted to learn about Ether.js or, or if you wanted to learn of how to set up your MetaMask to deploy to a development version of Ethereum as well, he covers all of it. And like he does a really good job of it in a way that like he comes from the same space I come from, which is the Jamstack space. So he's able to correlate that into getting involved in Ethereum today and, and deploying a website with using React as well. I really enjoyed it. I really I encourage everybody to check it out. Run to that course. You'll all the sort of tips and tricks and the stuff that was mentioned today in the conversation will probably come up again in Natter's course. So I figured it'd be a good segue from this podcast to go watch his video and you'll be right up to speed. So that is all I have today for picks. Um, Harrison, did you want to tell us what you're jamming on? Sure. So I would say since we didn't get a chance to talk about it a lot, during the main interview, the main thing I'm jamming on these days is Definity. So based on when you're listening to this podcast, Definity has built what is called the Internet Computer. It goes live uh, May 8th is the official Genesis date. And basically, it is a native compute and storage layer for Internet protocol. And so basically, anything you could build on the Internet can now be built on Definity. And so these same benefits and things people like about Ethereum with trustlessness, permissionlessness, user ownership, all these things, now will you could do for Definity, but instead of just for decentralized financial services, you'll now be able to do it for decentralized web services. So you could build you know, an open you know, decentralized version of YouTube or Reddit or any application you use on the web today. Now, I think there's going to be a huge opportunity for normal web developers. You don't need to learn Solidity. It compiles down to Wasm, so you could use any pretty much language you're used to using, uh, especially on the front end, and, you know, start deploying apps to a trustless, permissionless, you know, no chance of getting deplatformed. And so I think that Definity has a chance to be as big as Bitcoin and Ethereum in terms of like one of the main protocols in Web3. So I think it's super exciting. I encourage people to check it out. We're building some cool products on top of Definity to make it easy. But even just going to Definity directly and start playing around, I think for web developers, this is the most exciting thing that's happened in Web3 that now can invite all web developers in and applies to everyone. 
So that's one thing. So yeah, just another concept that I think is interesting to pay attention to in the Web3 space that I've been jamming on a lot recently is DAOs. And so DAOs stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. And so basically, instead of having a company where you have to incorporate in Delaware and, you know, kind of like go through all these hoops just to essentially have for what purpose besides just you and people you work with to kind of organize yourselves and officially, you know, consider yourselves a company. Well, now you could just do this on Ethereum and set up a DAO. You could use something like Aragon to create one in a few minutes. And so now you don't need to, you know, live in the US. You could be an entrepreneur from anywhere in the world. You could work with anyone from anywhere else in the world. You could set up a DAO. You could distribute a token that essentially acts as equity, where you could, you know, distribute ownership, voting control, things of that nature. And they're slowly starting to become a pretty big thing. And I think if you've seen this week, Wyoming just made it legal to incorporate officially as a DAO. So you don't have to set up an LLC or a C-Corp. Interesting. You could identify as a DAO and be legally recognized as an organization in the state of Wyoming. So big things are happening on that front. I think it's fascinating, and it's just something I'm super interested in recently. Yeah, <laughs> I am definitely going to check it out. That's, that's like a, I did not know about that, so that's fascinating. As someone who has an LLC myself, I know what the, the hoops that it takes to jump through that and pay taxes to the state of California, which I'm happy to do so, um, government and NSA who's uh, listening to this podcast. But with that being said, <laughs> Harrison, thanks so much for the conversation. I, I feel well-educated. I hope the listeners as well. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. This was awesome. And uh, listeners, keep spreading the jam. That's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 